0: That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there.
1: Always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Switch your home to Sky Broadband today. See sky.ie for more.
0: Hello and welcome to Inside Politics, the weekly and often more than weekly podcast about politics from the Irish Times. I'm Pat Leahy. Last night, the government survived a Sinn Féin motion of no confidence in the Dáil winning the vote on its own substituted motion of confidence by 85 votes to 66. Despite losing its majority on paper last week when Fine Gael TD Joe McHugh resigned the party whip, it seems that the government's actual working doll majority is in rude good health. They won the support not just of the TDs from the three coalition parties, but from TDs exiled outside their parliamentary parties having lost the whip and from a number of independent TDs. There were also abstentions and no-shows which further boosted the size of the majority. Losing the vote last night would have meant the end of the coalition and a mid-August general election. And while few politicians or pundits expected this outcome in recent days, the size of the victory for the coalition did surprise many people in Leinster House and certainly seemed to put a spring in the step of ministers and government TDs. So what does this tell us about the government's political strength? And what does it mean for the political battles to come in the autumn? Uh, well, to discuss all this, I'm joined by our political correspondent Jennifer Bray. Good morning, Miss Bray.
2: Good morning, Mr. Leahy.
0: And our political correspondent, Cormac McQuinn. Good morning, Mr. McQuinn. Good morning. Jennifer, um, it's all a bit of a was this a bit of a damp squib?
2: Yes, it was a bit of a damp squib. Um, I think it became apparent very early on, not even just yesterday, but in recent days. In fact, as soon as the, the motion was put down last week and news of that broke, that the numbers just simply weren't there for this to succeed for Sinn Féin. Now, obviously, the reason why this happened was because uh, Joe McHugh, you know, he has very strong views about the MICA bill that the government were passing and, and he voted against the government.
0: Donegal TD, Donegal of course. TD,
2: exactly. So he's been under immense pressure from constituents uh, 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 over this enhanced uh, redress bill. Um, because the constituents say they're simply left with still tens of, tens of thousands of euros, so obviously this was all precipitated basically by you know him losing the party whip. I think Sinn Féin saw the opportunity. Um, they realised that the government had lost its majority on paper. So obviously the majority in the Dáil currently is eighty TDs, and they they were down to after the the loss of the whip of Nasa Huragan and Patrick Costello of the Green Party down to seventy nine. So they saw the opportunity. They went for it, which is you know that's what the opposition do. That's what politics is 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 half about. Um, But I think what happened was they, I, I don't know whether they misjudged the level of support that the government could rely upon. Um, from independence, or misjudged the lack of conviction uh, on on the opposition benches from other parties um, that, that aren't themselves. And I think it became kind of obvious yesterday once the debate had started. The tone of it, uh, you know, I felt that contributions were kind of half hearted. Like even Mary Lou McDonald's contribution, it was kind of a lot of the stuff that we've already heard before. And I think the, the problem with it was, you know, there wasn't some massive scandal or controversy that tipped Sinn Féin off to doing this. So when it, taught, when, when it comes to what they had to beat the government around the head with, it's all the stuff that they bring up in leaders' questions every single day. Anyway, that's what yeah. struck
0: me about it as well. There was nothing new from Sinn Féin. Now, those attacks have proved on the issues of housing, on healthcare, on the cost of living. They have been pretty effective for Sinn Féin. But there was nothing new. It was in Sinn Féin contributions yesterday. And watching the debate, it struck me. And you, you rarely enough get this in the doll, actually. I think you get it in the House of Commons and perhaps other parliaments a bit more. But you rarely get this in the Dole, where there is a palpable mood in the chamber and that mood swings over the course of a debate. And I don't know what, what, what you thought, but it seemed to me that the mood swung towards the government over the course of the debate. And some of the Sinn Féin contributions, I kind of wondered, Jesus, is there, is there heart in this at all?
2: I definitely agree. Um, and I think, you know, obviously the government was... And Micheál Martin, actually, when he started his contribution in his own speech, and he actually phrased it as, I welcome this opportunity to outline all of my achievements for the last two years, which is exactly what we expected them to do. But I think in terms of the Fine Gael contributions from, you know, we're talking maybe... Hilda, there were some zingers in there. Well, I wouldn't go as far as zingers. I think that'll probably be far too generous. But definitely, you know, catchy lines that got a couple of laughs. Like Hilda auction was talking about... The heckling Muppets, um, the Minister for Social Protection, Heather Humphreys, was talking about... It. She enjoyed herself, She She gave it welly, you know. She wasn't there to play. Like, she she brought her A-game, I thought. But, um, yeah, she talked about how it was the biggest loads of... I think she said it's either codswallop or codology, one or the other. Obviously, they came out fighting. And they gave it gusto, you know. And I think that, the, the like I said, the problem with it was, in terms of misjudging, was that the government presented this as a stunt and political opportunism. And I think Sinn Féin found it very hard to counteract that accusation because what was the reason why they called it? It was because they saw the opportunity of the loss of a majority and they went for it. And like I say, that's what the opposition do. But when you're listening to the same argument from each of the Sinn Féin uh, TDs, you know, Mary Lynn MacDonald, I think she said a number of times, this government is out of touch. The writing is on the wall from Micheál Martin. But the writing very clearly was not on the wall, obviously, because they had a, you know, they won very, very comfortably. And I thought it was interesting at the very, very end of the debate. So they did a roll call of names, obviously, then, you know, Todd Neil, who was yeah, early so against just
0: to explain so listeners, to explain for the the all votes electronically. So people sit in their seats and they press a button. Yes. But the the alternative way of, of voting, and this is normally done for confidence motions, are opposition parties can call for a walkthrough vote where the traditional means of voting is done. The TDs walk through either the, the Taw or the Neil lobbies. But since the age of COVID, the equivalent of a walkthrough physical vote is the clerk of the doll reads out the names of the TDs and they say either Taw or Neil. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So
2: he he was going through the roll call. He'd just finished. I mean, it takes them a while, obviously, to go through the numbers and collate it and talk to the whips, etc. And Mary Lou, and this is what I know, it's Mary Lou MacDonald and Louise O'Reilly were up out of the chair and trying to get out the door. But the doors are usually locked until the result is announced. So they were waiting at the door kind of you know, smiling, you know, impatiently. They didn't even hang around. They wouldn't have hung around for the result of the vote. And I thought that that said a lot, to be honest with you. But I would say, having said all that, is one of the contributions from Sinn Féin that stood out for me that I thought really landed a blow was Owen O'Brien. Now, obviously, he's, you know, covering the housing brief and, and he's very, you know, well in tune with what's going on. And he was talking about And this kind of weary sort of, you know, expression, weary vibe, you know, and he was kind of saying that, you know, when I listen to the Taoiseach speaking, I genuinely wonder if he's in the same country as I am. He tells us progress is being made. And I must say, this is a deeply disingenuous statement. He said, and he wonders, is the Taoiseach in denial about housing? And I felt from the government benches, the cringing from that. And soon after that, Simon Coveney spoke and he said that housing is one of the biggest issues facing the coalition. That's where they land the blows the actual issues rather than yeah. the opportunistic motions, basically.
0: I I, I thought watching yeah. Ono Bren's uh, contribution that he has already begun to assume the demeanour of a, the weary demeanour of a minister who is being distracted from the important work he must do by the necessity to come in and answer idiotic questions from the uh, opposition. He was certainly, I thought in his presentation and delivery, a bit more low key than many of the other Sinn Féin uh, speakers, you know, who were getting up on their hind legs and attacking the government with all the gusto they could muster. Cormac, the the result in the end, 85 votes to 66, uh, was a bigger majority for the government than most people had anticipated. I I don't believe for a moment that, that Sinn Féin, assuming all the while that Sinn Féin is able to count, which I think it is, I don't think Sinn Féin expected to win this motion and pitch the country into a general election but i think they probably expected it to be a good bit closer than it turned out to be
3: sure i mean a, a 19 vote margin what I, what i think that shows is that uh, politicians uh, that aren't on the government benches but that did support the government generally aren't turkeys that vote for christmas you know they the independent tds for instance they they've got They've got another two and a half years or so of, of a job. Why why would you threaten that right now? Similarly, the uh, the two Green Party exiles, Nessa Horrigan and Patrick Costolo, they're both in constituencies where they're they're at risk from Sinn Fein taking their seats. So, you know, why why wouldn't they support the government in this one? So, you know, the the, the margin was nowhere near as close as as what uh, people thought that it might have been in in recent days, or certainly that the hype of recent days, it was very, very comfortable in the end. Another observation, it it just struck me that if if Sinn Féin get anything out of this uh, no-confidence motion, it would be just to uh, further win support in Donegal where you know they already have two TDs. They brought the motion on the back of the, the, the mica issue up there and the, the damage to, to the homes. They are certainly targeting a third seat in Donegal next time around if it remains a five seat constituency. Of course there's there's potentially a, a boundary redraw. that could see it split into two three seats, so perhaps four out of out of six seats for for Sinn Fein and Donegal. You know, they'll be able to go to the electorate up there and say, look, we, we tried to bring down the government over the over the mica issue that's affecting so many house Households and and even if it's not directly affecting your household, it, it, it might be your, your brother or sister's house down the road, you know. So it's it's a it's a smart move for them in a very targeted way in one constituency for sure. And
0: I suppose we should always be careful to realise how these things are perceived outside the Leinster House bubble. And emotion of no confidence is great fun for all of us. And as moments of political theatre and drama in the chamber and so forth, we all hang on the result. But I guess for a lot of voters, they are having, you know, only a passing acquaintance with what happened yesterday. And for many people, all they will see about the motion and the debate in the doll yesterday is a couple of social media clips of individual TDs making arguments that they like to hear. Uh, at the same time... Cormac, I think, and you made reference to it there, the fact that the government exiles, if we can call them that, the two green TDs who have lost the whip, Fianna Fáil TD who has lost the whip, Mark McSharry, and Fianna Gael TD who has lost the whip, Joe McHugh, the fact that they all didn't abstain but actually voted with the government, allied to the independent support that the government got yesterday from, correct me if I'm wrong, I think four independent TDs, Michael Lowry, Peter Fitzpatrick, Sean Canney and Carl Berry, uh, the Kildare Independent. That kind of demonstrates you know, the sort of attrition that previous governments, particularly and uh, Kenny's second government, indeed his first and his, uh, his second government, also last government led by Brian Cowan, that they, uh, the attrition that they suffered, that the current government isn't really experiencing that yet. It is not steadily losing TDs, it's holding on to its support. And what that suggests to me is that this government won't be brought down by a slow whittling away of its majority by political events and desertions. The only thing that will bring this government down before its term is up is if there is a split between the three parties.
3: Yeah, I mean it's it's hard to see where other government TDs might might fall by the wayside. You know, you know, Mark McCherry had a, a very long running, you know, dispute with Mihaul Martin on how the party was being run. He was vocal critic of the of the leadership of the party. It was it was really only a matter of time before he went in his case over a, a no conference motion in Simon Coveney. Joe McHugh again, a very specific issue up up in Donegal, the Micah issue. That's why he, he was gone. You know, it's suppose the, the Greens are perhaps the most the most shaky in that there is a there is a wing of that party that didn't want to go into coalition, you know, Nessa Horrigan being a, a prime example of of one of their TDs that didn't want to go in with Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael in the first place. And there is, I suppose, the possibility that one or two of them could could jump ship at some sure. point. But even, but then, even if they, if, but even if if they the do, government has, the government's
0: majority is probably still robust enough this is, this is it. To, to survive in the This is adult. it,
3: you know, and... You know, we didn't get into over, over the weekend, particularly was, you know, what, what sort of side deals are being done to, to keep independence on board and things like that. You know, it, it was a running thing during the, the minority, the Finnegal led minority government of, you know, what sort of deals did Michael Larry get for Tipperary to keep voting with the government, that sort of thing. We, we didn't get into that this weekend. And, and nor will we, I feel, for, for a long time, unless they lose a lot of TDs, given the, the scale of the margin of victory that they had. Another thing that struck me as well is the other opposition parties. Labour and and social democrats obviously, you know, voting against the government. But I, I feel like you know, privately at least, they, they may well be breathing a, a sigh of relief because, of course, theirs are the seats that are also particularly at risk from from uh, Sinn Fein's current popularity in the polls. So, you know, an August election, an August general election, is something that that nobody really wanted, except perhaps perhaps Sinn Fein, and uh, that was that was reflected in in the outcome yesterday.
1: Never suffer the buffer again. Always stay connected with 99.9% reliable sky broadband. Whether you're streaming on the sofa, gaming in the bedroom, or swiping in the bathroom.
0: Hey, get
1: out of here! I said swiping. You'll never be without it. Switch your home to 99.9% reliable sky broadband. Availability subject to location requires Sky Broadband Ultrafast. For more info, see sky.ie forward slash speeds. 99.9% reliability based on time our broadband network works across our base.
0: Jennifer, there's also another uh, aspect, just kind of looking at the the parliamentary numbers and the the government's majority. There was a couple of independents who weren't there yesterday. Dennis Octon and uh, Noel Grealish didn't vote yesterday, neither of them were around. Another independent, uh, Matt Shanahan from Waterford, abstained on the vote. And there's a sense around that if the government really needed them to survive, those votes might be uh, available to them. And there are other independents who voted against the government yesterday, that if there really was a threat to the government's survival, and as Cormac said, being pitched into... Uh, an immediate general election, then, you know, those votes might move from votes against the government to abstentions. In in other words, this remains a government for all the political difficulties that it faces. This is a, a government that is pretty secure in its
2: parliamentary majority. I mean, yes and no. I think definitely if the government really needed those independent TDs who abstained or didn't turn up, like you said, I think they absolutely could have got their support. But Michael Martin was asked on Monday morning, he was out in Ballymun and he was asked, you know, are you doing any side deals with independents? And he said, we don't do side deals. Now, I think this comes down to your definition of a side deal because Carl, <laughs> you don't say, it. <laughs> you know, this is, you know, define a side deal or just define a deal you know, but, you know, obviously there were calls flying around earlier in the week. Um, I know, for example, that Cahill Berry, who you mentioned there a little while ago, he was kind of waiting to see what the outcome would be from a memo that went to Cabinet on Tuesday in relation to the future funding of the Defence Forces. And he was happy with that and on that basis. But I have no doubt that he was, you know, getting briefings about that, or if he wasn't getting briefings, and he had some kind of input into it. And I know there were phone calls about that kind of thing. And what I'm saying is, they all seem to have been, not fairly standard phone calls, but it doesn't seem to have been much frenzy to it. And I think that if there was a really uh, dodgy or, or tight spot the government found itself in, let's say there was a, uh, a vote called and a minister had, I don't know, done something wrong. I won't even speculate, but some some tricky situation they find themselves in. I think then that obviously the momentum against the government would be much more and they'd have to fight that a little bit harder. But yes, they could command, I think, the the... the uh, support of some extra TDs. But having said that, on the flip side, I think for them to be not even halfway through the term and have lost their majority on paper, I don't think that's where they want to be at all. I mean, there were, I remember when last week when Joe McHugh, you know, cast his vote and all this happened, there, of course, was spinning saying, well, actually, you know, people are saying this is bad, but it's not that bad because we rely on independence. But it is bad. It is bad for any government to lose their majority. And we still have such a long way to go in this government's term and i feel like the the first half of this term has really lasted a very long time but i think there's some that i think the hardest times and i'm not just saying this because it's an easy thing to say on a podcast but i genuinely think the hardest times for this government are yet to come i think the the coming winter will be really really crucial i really do feel that if there and there is the very real prospect of energy blackouts if the lights go off this winter I think they're going to find themselves in the worst position they've been in so far. And if that happens, then what well, the independents will have to deal their colours to mass in a different way. They'll have to support something. This maybe would be easier for them to support because they could say, well, maybe it is a political stunt. And no, nobody does want an August election. I haven't met a single person who wanted an August election, by the way, not even Sinn Féin. And, and that's what I, that's what I would say. Definitely
3: spend. not the poll cars.
2: Oh, I'm, you know, Oh, would I? No, absolutely hated. But <laughs> I think I thought about, I thought about it for a
3: second. <laughs> I'd I prefer it to the miserable February elections we've had the last yes, three times that's in a row. True. You know the miserable winter rain. I'd, I think I take yeah, August and that. I just that uh, basis. so my point, my point
2: basically is yes, I think this time they could have commanded more support. My gut feeling is that the next time that there is a major issue, it's going to be something that independents will find far harder to support. And not having a majority, if it still transpires to be like that at that stage, I think is, is very damaging.
3: I do think one thing, though, that from yesterday's vote is that it's, it is a reinforcement of the, the sense that the government is on its way back to its majority. Nessa Horgan and Patrick Cosgrove voting with the government that suggests they're on a trajectory to return to the to the yeah. Green Party fold in November. You know, in a way that the humming and hawing over the weekend looked like there was a bit of doubt there, but but it, it very much looks like they're they're on the way back. So, I mean, in theory, the government should have should have a majority of of at least one once uh, November comes around. But of course, we have. Things like the budget to get to get over before then,
0: yeah, and and, and just casting forwards then to the sort of things that the government will have to deal with in the autumn because we are now at the end of the of this political term, the doll rises. Tomorrow the last cabinet is scheduled for the week after next. I think yeah. Michael Martin is well, going to Japan and next week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, and then last cabinet before government breaks up for August, or at least for the first half of August, because with an earlier budget. I guess you're going to have budget meetings and bilaterals beginning not perhaps in the middle of September, but at the end of at the end of August. So the government returns then and it is faced with a budget. It's going to be pressurized as students are looking for accommodation, finding none there. That's putting further pressure on housing numbers. Cost of living is going to get Worse, I think, the prospect as gen raises of winter blackouts or cutting off of Russian gas, which might not directly affect us in this country, but will certainly affect the price. And the agreement of carbon ceilings for the various sectors, which is an issue that, as is, I gather, is bubbling away behind the scenes in government at the moment. So, so really, while the government may be... Finishes this term on more of a high than it might otherwise have expected. Things are already clouding in for the autumn, Jen.
2: Yes, they are. And like I said, I think that this next term afterwards will be a completely different ballgame. There was a couple of issues that they we might have expected that they would have dealt with, such as the pension age, the issue around the, the pension age and, and putting that back. That hasn't been resolved. They'll have to resolve that when they, when they come back, although there is talk that they're going to kick that out until maybe as far as October or November. The first thing, obviously, like you said, will be the budget. So, you know, they had a summer economic statement and they set out the parameters of that. And it's a 6.7 billion package, I think. But when you break it down into the, what's actually available for new spending, when you take out maybe perhaps a public pay deal, which is another issue they'll have to sort out in the coming weeks and months, there isn't all that much space to play with. And I think what that will necessitate will be some pretty testy kind of budget bilaterals, and I do agree they will probably have to start in August, which is great news for me because i 'm working in august <laughs> <laughs> so for, prepare for some budget flyers, but yeah, so that that 'll be August, um, and I think that 'll be kind of a difficult negotiation coming up to the budget. And of course, what will happen is that the opposition will say no matter what is introduced, whether it's 10 euro, 15 euro increases in welfare payments or whether it's index linking tax ban so that people can see their their take home pay increase if they've got a bonus or anything like that. Of course, the opposition will say it's not enough because it probably won't be enough, you know, given the rate of inflation and the fact it's still at a very high level. I think once they cleared that hurdle, they have a couple of other, they've got the winter, the the energy crisis, I think, will be, like I mentioned earlier, one of the biggest issues. Um, And then they have other bits of legislation, I think, which would be really important, but maybe not as much in the mainstream, like this next term is when they'll have to legislate uh, for the redress scheme for women who were in mother and baby homes. I think that that's going to be a, a really big item uh, then as well. So, yeah, obviously, and they're, look, I'm, I know this sounds so stupid, but things are always difficult as well when the evenings are getting darker. The weather is getting worse, you know, like it's quite warm now. We're not wearing, well, hopefully too many people aren't wearing, but home heating well, it's going to be very different the other side of, of the summer. Naturally, it sounds like such an obvious thing to say, but it's true. So I think that they'll take their win that they got yesterday. And they, they, I could tell by the looks in their faces, they were happy with themselves. But that win is going to be so, so short-lived. And when Leo Varadkar takes over on the 15th of December, I don't think he will be taking over in, you know, a storm of glory. I think he'll be coming in and taking on some exceptional challenges. And maybe he will actually have the worst side of the deal in terms of the two or two and a half years that he gets.
0: And this Cormac is the other thing that the government has to navigate in the autumn. Once I guess the budget is out of the way, is preparation for and the execution of that changeover, which has never been done before. And while at one level it is a straightforward administrative task, on a political level it's a lot more complicated than that because first of all there's the inherently destabilising nature of it, all the speculation and then the execution of a reshuffle, however limited, on both sides of the government. And there's also the danger as to how this is presented to the public, I think, because I think there is a danger that the public simply kind of looks at this and says, you know, like, this is just a jobs for the boys operation. Oh, so it's Leo's turn now. So he has to have uh, a go with his hands on, uh, on, on the steering wheel at a time when we are being pummeled by cost of living increases, when there's uncertainty over energy supplies, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. All those things that Jen mentioned, there's this danger that the political class or the, govern, the governing class are seen, in, seen as more interested in who gets what job. I think that's quite a danger.
3: Yeah, I mean it's it's <laughs> As you say, it's an unprecedented thing in Irish politics, and it, it looks like it's going to be happening in the, in the middle of what will be a, a, a winter of discontent. Uh, so there is a danger there. I mean, the only way to, to, to combat that, I suppose, is is for Leo Varadhar to come in and, and try and pitch it as a, a reinvigoration of the government midway through its term, the, the, la- the last stretch uh, before the election, uh, to get, get its goals uh, over the line. You know, the, the tackling of the housing crisis, you know, the, the introduction of slantia care and the health service... Uh, that sort of stuff, but in doing that, if it's to look anyway different, the re, there would have to be a, a reshuffle that that matters. You know, it, you couldn't just keep the same team and all of the same jobs. You know, and and that's where the the, the internal government risk is because you will not only have the, the dissatisfaction of the people who are demoted potentially from cabinet or from junior ministerial roles, but also the the backbenchers who'd, who'd like to get the the junior job or more senior job as well. So there, there, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of risk there for for Leo Varadkar, Neil Martin. It's not not decision that that Leo Varadkar will be making on his own, of course, because the other two party leaders will have a say over who gets gets the portfolios that they have. But it but it is it will be a perilous time for government, and and it may not be apparent for a couple of months afterwards how it how it all shakes out. But uh, but it will be very interesting when it when it does happen. Jen,
0: having warned of the perils for government of fixating on who gets what job in in the changeover in December. Let us now fixate momentarily <laughs> on who gets what job in the changeover in, uh, in, in December. It seems to me that while Leo Branker has spoken of uh, an inevitable reshuffle, his scope for cabinet changes is, is, is limited enough, isn't it? Because if you assume that he can't drop Simon mm-hmm. Coveney from the cabinet or whatever by changing his job his party's deputy leader. You assume he can't drop Pascal Donoghue from the cabinet, even though he may move from... Uh, being Minister for Finance, and we've we've talked about that before. Mm. Politically speaking, he can't drop Helen McEntee. Indeed, it may be even illegal to drop (laughs) Helen McEntee because she'll be on maternity leave. Hard to see him dropping Heather Humphreys. Hard to see him dropping Simon Harris. And wait a minute, that's their entire Mm. cabinet representation. So certainly there is zero scope for Leo Varadkar to make substantial changes to his cabinet without offending some big beast
2: absolutely so either he leaves everything the exact same which could present problems of its own or he drops somebody which will have long term ramifications depending on who he drops because i think if he dropped simon harris who's the current minister for higher education Then I think it's, look, I think Simon Harris has made it very well known that he has leadership ambitions. And I don't know about you, but if I were him, I would feel like, oh, well, I have all this extra time now to make my plans. And I'm not sure that that is a very astute plan politically for Leo Wagner. Okay, the first thing he was going to, he said, well, he hasn't said this, but this is what their word in Finnegal is he's going to shake up the junior benches.
0: But is that not just an admission that he doesn't have either the, political capital or the scope or the desire to shake up the cabinet.
2: Definitely. I mean, what you might see maybe is the relegation of one of the senior ministers to a super junior, but even that would cause absolute ructions. Um, And I think, you know, looking at Heather Humphreys in particular, there was a bit of chat earlier in the year that she was the person who was kind of most in danger, but I feel like there's actually a, a, a large contingent of people in Finnegale, particularly rurally, who really support her and are happy with the job that she's done. So yeah, I I, I don't know.
0: She ticks an important box for mm. Finnegale, doesn't mm. she? You know, she's rural woman from the northwest yes. of the region. She just she speaks to that part of the organisation that Leo Veradker might. Kind of be a little less comfortable. Definitely.
2: And even if you look at her performance in the doll last night, like she's well able to to give it loads and to, you know, to give it welly. And this is gonna be a big thing for Finnegale when the changeover happens after this in the two years, if they get the full two years, two and a bit years afterwards, will be how Finnegale handles Sinn Fein. Micheál Martin and Fianna Fáil have a different approach. Miho Martin has a more don't get me wrong, he's obviously a historical buff and you know he's well able to get stuck in but I feel like Fine have a different approach to them I think it's gonna I think the gloves are going to come off a little bit and we saw just a little taste of that last night particularly from the Fine so I think it'll be important for Veracruz to also think about who will be in this position best you know who will take the best approach or who'll be uh, able to handle this in in the most um, effective way so that's a consideration too and they they are thinking about that I've no doubt.
0: And, Corbett, if it's complicated for Fina Gale, it's even more complicated for Fina Fall because there is the leadership issue, which inevitably looms in the mid distance there. And we saw a group of Fina Fall backbenchers having a clandestine stroke not very clandestine at all meeting last week in... Uh, in well, well, it was absolutely
3: not about the leadership if you, you, you talk to any of them. No, indeed not. Absolutely not. It, it will be it, sooner or later... <laughs> this is it. it. It could be the beginnings of of, of such things. It, I mean, uh, but even then, look at the, look at some of the characters involved. It, it, you know, the, the Barry Cawns and Jim O'Callahan. So you know, these are these are people that have have raised questions in the past about the leadership. You know, it was thought that maybe it would come to a head this year before the before the transition. That seemed to have receded. And you know, it's 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 look at me. Martin's been the leader of Fianna Fáil since twenty eleven. That's a, that's an awful long time. He hasn't had terribly a terribly successful. Recent election, even if he if even if he did bring the party back from the brink before they they are facing annihilation again, if the polls are to be believed, you know. So it's 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 going to be the elephant in the room for the rest of the the term of government. You know, I, I do think Mio Martin's genuine in his uh, in his intention to stay on as tarnished, and he says he's going to stay on for the next election, but he, he has to say that, doesn't he? But yeah, the, the Fianna Fail side of the, the reshuffle it, it it is tricky. I mean, it, Minister for Health Stephen Donnelly has had a, a very difficult brief. You know, he can point to a successful COVID nineteen vaccination program, but but health health is health is a tough one. It seems to me like he, he's perhaps most at risk in a, in a potential reshuffle. I'm not sure you'd take Darrell O'Brien out of housing because you know An it's, admission if, of failure. if he's a Well, this, it's a, he's particularly if he's a potential leadership, uh, candidate as well, you know, it's, it's, yeah, admission of failure would be, would be one thing, but it's, it's been done before, like Simon Coveney leaving housing, you know, Owen Murphy as well. It's, it's not, it's not a good look in probably another, as I say, another tough brief. And then after that, Norma Foley seems to be solid in, in education, you know, Charlie McConloak in Donegal, low, low enough profile, but, you know, it's a part of the country for Fall need a seat season, and it, you know the emotion for him uh, wouldn't be great next come the next election. Uh, so it's very hard to see where they would uh, cut somebody. I, I would wonder if there there will be any reshuffling of the portfolios amongst the, the parties, just as a, as a as a way of of refreshing there, things there, a bit. There uh,
0: certainly be some reshuffling between the parties to this extent, at least in that. Leo Radker becomes Taoiseach. Michal Martin moves to another role. My guess is foreign yeah, affairs. is, foreign think uh, the
3: chief whip will go to Fine Gael then as well. You maybe
0: know. goes to Fine Gael. But also part of the, as I understand it, part of the unwritten, or the unwritten part of the agreement between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael is that finance must switch as well. So when the Taoiseach is uh, held by Fine Gael, then the Department of Finance must be held by, uh, by Fianna Fáil. And yeah,
3: that's a, it's a tricky one given Pascal Donoghue's Eurogroup role um, at the moment and uh, the, the precedent that it's always been a, a finance minister that has held that, that job, that very big job in, in Europe. Uh, so I don't know if that would be an interesting one to watch to see if there will be an extension just of the, the current portfolio arrangements even into next year just so as so Pascal Donoghue can get to the end of his term as that but it, but it, that, that will potentially a tricky one as, as we as we approach that reshuffle
0: yeah well all that is for much later in the year um our apologies to listeners for a somewhat premature bout of (laughs) reshuffle speculation all i can say is that it will not be our last (laughs) but for now cormac and jennifer thanks for joining me this episode was produced by declan conlin and we'll talk to you next week